You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is from Romans 8, beginning in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there is a legend, probably a legend, as they always are, of a young Alexander the Great meeting a wise man on the banks of the Indus River in common day Pakistan or India. And he called this man Gymnosophus, which quite literally is translated the naked wise man. And he was perhaps some sort of monk or a local sage. And as Alexander approached this man, he asked him, what are you doing? And the man answered, I'm experiencing nothingness. And then he asked Alexander the same question, well, what are you doing here? And Alexander said, I'm, I'm conquering the world, man. And they both simultaneously began to laugh at the other. Each one of them looked at the other and thought, what a fool. The wise men thought, why are you conquering the world? That is, this is pointless. Alexander thought, why are you sitting around doing nothing? That's pointless. You see, to understand this interaction between these two individuals, it's important to understand the mindsets that were formed in each of them, their worldview, if you will. Alexander would have no doubt been shaped by the, the myths of the Greeks. He was tutored by Aristotle himself. He was raised and shaped by stories of Homer's Iliad and Achilles in battle and Jason going and seizing the golden fleece. He was shaped by these stories of the spectacular and going and seizing the day because you only live once and you better conquer. That made sense to him. And then there was the wise sage who would have been shaped by the Eastern myths like Bharata who was said to have conquered the world only to find out that it was absolutely meaningless. He was shaped by the belief in a cyclical life where you are reincarnated an infinite amount of times until you finally understand the point of it all. Two very different stories, two very different lives, two very different mindsets that were controlling them. And so the question for us today, as those who have been 
welcomed into the story of God. Those of us who, by God's grace, now belong to this new humanity through Jesus Christ. The question that we need to consider today is what mindset is controlling your life? What mindset is controlling my life? And this is important because how you approach the world, how you view life, how you determine what success is, how you interact with the people around you, how you dream, how you experience love, how you respond to tragedy, even how you approach eternity. It's all being determined by the mindset that has been formed in you. And this is what Paul is, is pointing out in this next portion of Romans 8. And here we see two very different mindsets. We see the mindset of the flesh, and we see the mindset of the spirit. Now, as we've been looking through the book of Romans, as we've been looking at, um, you know, how God created this, this new humanity through Jesus Christ, what we're looking at today is how our mind must come into alignment with this newness that now marks the Christian life. And so the big idea today is this, cultivating a spirit-filled mindset and how it's crucial in order to live a life that pleases God. Cultivating a spirit-filled mindset. If you're taking notes, I'm going to look at this passage under three headings. We're going to look at preoccupation, pursuit, and power. Let's look first at preoccupation. Now, there's a story, maybe a legend as well, who knows, of... Um, uh, Albert Einstein, as he was with one of his classes as a lecturer, as a professor, and one of the students raised their hand. They asked Albert Einstein, of all people, how many feet are in a mile? And his response was astonishing. He said, I don't know. And, and so the class started to laugh because they, they, they thought he was joking. And they came to find out very quickly that he was not joking. Albert Einstein himself did not know how many feet were in a mile. And then he explained to them why, and he said this. He said, I make it a rule not to clutter my mind with simple information that I can find in a book in less than five minutes. His passion to pursue knowledge of how the universe works caused him to be very careful about what he allowed to occupy the very limited space of his mind. And he determined that there were things that were just not worth allowing to fill it. There were things that were not going to help him and move him forward in where he was going in life. And similar, we, similarly, we as believers are to be very careful about what, and maybe more specifically today, who, occupies our minds. Look with me again in verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? It's death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is what? Life and peace. Okay, so there are two ways to live. With your mindset on the flesh or your mindset on the Spirit of God. And what this means is either to be preoccupied by the broken and self-centered desires of our own 
human nature and our own ego, the me, 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 me-centered life, or to be preoccupied by the life-giving, God-pleasing desires of the Holy Spirit. John Stott, a commentator on the book of Romans, summed this passage up like this. It is the question of what preoccupies us, of the ambitions which drive us and the concerns that, that grip us, of how we spend our time and our energies, of what we concentrate on and give ourselves up to. All this is determined by who we are, whether we are still in the flesh or by new birth in the Spirit. So Paul is making it very simple for us today. He's boiling it down. Our minds are either going to be set on God or self. God or self. Whatever preoccupies your mind right now is controlling your life and even, as he alludes to here, your destiny. This determines whether or not we are at peace with God. This determines whether or not we're living a life that pleases God. This determines whether or not we belong to Jesus. And this even determines whether or not we experience his resurrection life. Kind of important. And because it's so vital, this should cause us to do a couple things. First, it should cause us to evaluate our own lives. It should cause us to look within and and ask some really important questions like, am I still in the flesh or am I in the spirit? Am I being controlled by my own desires or am I being controlled by the desires of the Holy Spirit? Now, to experience temptation, that's one thing. Even Jesus was tempted. I'm not talking about temptation. I'm talking about being controlled by these desires. And you can't assume today that because you were raised in the church or because you have some understanding of the Bible or because you prayed a prayer when you were a child or because your spouse or your parents or someone that is close to you is a believer that you are somehow grandfathered into the spirit. We're not grandfathered in by proximity into this this existence that Paul is describing here. As the Bible tells us, it's only when we repent of our sin and we trust in Jesus Christ that we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. And while you can change the way you think, and you can even temporarily change the way that you live and your behavior, the gospel tells us that it's only through being united to Jesus' death and resurrection and receiving his Holy Spirit by faith that we get what Paul calls elsewhere a new mind, the mind of Christ, a completely different way of thinking and viewing the world, a new mindset that is preoccupied and filled with God himself. And so Paul points out here that it's the Spirit's transforming work in our minds, changing our thoughts, changing our attitudes, changing our desires, that is the necessary proof that we belong to Jesus in the first place. How do you know that you belong to Jesus? How do you know that you belong to the family of God? Well, the necessary proof is that the way that you think and the way that you imagine life 
and your desires, and even how you view God's word and obedience to God's word, it's, it's changed. Something within has changed. Secondly, this should cause us to evaluate what we are setting our minds on daily. What you behold, you become, for better or for worse. What captivates your mind and your heart and your imagination begins to shape you, for better or for worse. Now, I think it's interesting, in our very health-conscious society in the 21st century, we understand the principle that Paul is explaining here when it comes to our bodies. What you put in your body, what you fill it with, what you consume, you're going to manifest. You put in unhealth, what are you going to manifest? Unhealth. You put in health, you're going to manifest health. But here's the question for us today. What about our minds? What are we filling, filling our minds with? What are we allowing to consume us? It's devastating that even Christians can be very conscious of clean eating and nourishing their bodies and being very careful about, you know, what occupies, you know, I got the, the temple of the Holy Spirit here. I got to be careful what we're putting in the body and yet totally, totally ignore what's occupying our minds, what we're filling our minds with, the things that we dwell on, the, the conversations that we have, the kinds of entertainment that we continue to consume. The truth is, if you set your mind on anxiousness and violence and fear, you're going to begin to manifest anxiousness and violence and fear. You set your mind on lustfulness and objectifying bodies, guess what? You're going to begin to act out that lustfulness and objectification. You set your mind on your resentments, guess what's going to happen? You're going to begin to embody your resentment. You're not going to be able to control the rolling of the eyes and the shrugging of the shoulders and the countenance change when so-and-so comes into your presence. You'll begin to embody it. You won't be able to control it. You dwell on your, set your mind on, on greed and selfishness. You're going to manifest greed and selfishness and on and on and on. But as we see here, through the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit, if you set your mind on the peace of God, you're going to begin to experience the peace of God. And if you set your mind on the word of God, you are going to begin to embody God's righteousness. And if you set your mind on the life-giving character of Jesus Christ, you're going to become a person marked by the sacrifice and love and care of Jesus Christ. And if you set your mind on the good news that we are justified and alive through faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to experience vibrancy and freedom throughout your life. There's good news attached to this equation. Paul would say it this way in Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. If there is anything worth giving God glory for and praising him in your life, let this be the thing that you ruminate on in the quiet. Let this be the, the thing that is preoccupying your mind. Set your minds on these. Amen? Now let's look secondly at pursuit. Now I know that at this point it probably sounds like what I'm saying is that if we just simply think right thoughts about God and we simply think right thoughts about ourselves, then for sure we're going to experience transformation in our lives. Like Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Not so much. I want us to back up just a moment and look at the last portion of verse 4, which actually sets up the verses that we're focusing on today. In verse 4, the Apostle Paul describes believers as those, quote, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Who are believers? Believers are those who walk according to the Spirit. This statement right here is what frames what we're looking at today. Walking in the Spirit. This is not thinking in the Spirit. This is walking in the Spirit. And so in order to live a life that pleases God and results in real life change, we've got to be both preoccupied with the Spirit, but also pursuing the things of the Spirit, actively pursuing the things of the Spirit. This isn't passive. This isn't hands-off Christianity. This isn't an idle approach. This isn't just thinking good thoughts into our, you know, into change. This is an intentional pursuit. Theologian J.I. Packer describes this as keeping in step with the Spirit. What's my aim and my goal in life? I want to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, the Christian church has a rich history of spiritual practices that help in keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Practical ways that we can engage our minds, our hearts, and our bodies in order to cultivate intimacy with Jesus Christ and to grow in our surrender to God so that we're every day open to what he desires to do in our lives. So what I want to do is I want to list some of these spiritual practices that we have inherited from believers before us that I know that men and women in our church are implementing in their lives today. The first is reading and meditating on the scriptures. This may be a given, this may be the duh, obvious Christian thing, but this is so important that God's people are in the word of God daily. Can I get an amen? The primary way that our minds are renewed is through God's word. You take God's word out of the equation, you are not going to experience the renewal that's described here. False and deceptive narratives of this world are bombarding us every single day. So they have to be met with the beauty and the truth of God's word. And only God's word can do the heavy lifting of reshaping our minds. Only God's word. Secondly, prayer. This means simply communing with God. Speaking with God. Don't complicate this. It's speaking with God. It's 
crying out to him, it's praising him, it's asking him, it's celebrating him, it's lamenting before him, and as we'll see later in Romans, sometimes it's just groaning in his presence. Ah, and the Spirit's like, I know what you mean. Prayer, fasting. Fasting is where we redirect our hungers and our urges to the God who satisfies. How do we deny the flesh? It's very simple. We deny the flesh. (laughs) We tell the body no for a moment so that we can open ourselves up to who God is and the way that he satisfies us more than bread and food. How about rest? Rest, Sabbath. Rest is the way that we break free from the anxious and anxiety system of career and jobs so that we are no longer allowing our productivity and our performance to define us. Where we can remember that we are not human doings, we are human beings. Before I do, I am. Whether or not I work hard today. Silence and solitude. We live in a noisy world, don't we? And so we need to withdraw from the noise of this world to be filled with God's voice. We're just so, as it was prayed earlier in pre-service prayer, someone just prayed, I'm so distracted. We live in such a distracted world. Sometimes we just need to break away so that we can hear God's voice over all the noise. Practicing the presence of God. It's how we develop an ongoing openness and awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence within us on a daily basis in all that we're doing. Or how about this? Examine. Examine is the practice of assessing our own emotions and our own uh, thoughts and even our own bodies and urges throughout the day. Just pausing and saying, what am I thinking about right now? What are my fears? What am I worrying about? Where's the tension in my body? So that we can have that self-assessment to bring to the Lord. Celebration. You guys still with me? Building in rhythms of taking joy in all that God has done. We live in such a negative moment where we are so focused on what is not and all the things that we don't have. God has blessed us immensely. And just pausing to acknowledge those, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's great, to just pause and say, thank you, Lord, for the presence of these things in my life. Nothing reshapes the mind like gratitude. Or confession. Confession is where we surrender our weakness and our sin to the loving forgiveness of Jesus Christ. A lot of us as Christians are walking around with the weight of condemnation that Jesus has objectively freed us from. We walk around filled with a guilt that has been released from us. How do we experience freedom of mind? How do we experience the freedom that Jesus purchased for us? We release it through confession. I've sinned, Lord. I've sinned against you and neighbor, but the sin no longer defines me. You're a forgiving God. I'm releasing it to your presence. I don't carry it anymore. You've carried it for me. And then finally, service. Service is a real way that we deny our flesh and we yield to the Spirit by no longer uh, seeking self, but seeking to help others and to care for others and to share the love of Jesus Christ to the people around us. This is just 10 of many, many other practices that we can implement in our lives in order to pursue the things of the Spirit, in order to keep in step with the Spirit.
Now, what I want to do is I want to reach way beyond my pay grade, which I do often, by the way, and share some really interesting concepts that I believe are mingled in today's, uh, today's message. And it has to do with the pathways of our brain and a concept that's called neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. Up until really recently, it was believed that the brain doesn't really change after childhood and adolescence. And that by the time we become adults, the way that we think is hardwired and fixed for good. There is no changing who a person is by the time they become an adult. But what neuroscience has discovered is that there's actually flexibility, plasticity, and there is the potential for change in the way that we think. Now, imagine your brain like a very complex series of, uh, like a circuit board where, where connections are being made all the time. And in our brain, there are these neural pathways that become well-worn paths through repeated actions and habits. These establish very unique ways where we think and feel and respond our way through life. And the more that we reinforce these ways of thinking and feeling and responding, the more that we strengthen the pathway. So let me use an illustration. For instance, if I'm inclined to stress eat, are there any other stress eaters here? Okay. If I'm inclined to stress eat, the occasion is stress. The connection I'm making is eating and the temporary satisfaction of filling my stomach with some sort of food or snack. And so if I'm, I feel stressed today, which I don't know about you, but it's kind of like every day for me. Um, if I feel stressed today and I have that urge to eat something to soothe myself, I am not only traveling a, a well-worn pathway, but I'm actually strengthening it so that tomorrow the urge will be even greater. When I respond to make that connection, the, the urge to, to stress eat is going to even be greater tomorrow and even greater the next day. That's why habits are so difficult to change. But the positive part of all this is that change can occur when we create new habits and we carve out new and, and strengthen new pathways. So for instance, in that moment of stress, in, instead of going and eating, I, I create a new habit of prayer. I feel stress. I'm practicing exam and I'm acknowledging the stress inside. There's tension in my body and I pray. And through that repeated act of prayer, what's end, what ends up happening is that a new pathway is being formed so that the old becomes obsolete and weakened, and I finally abandon it at some point in my life. When we practice something again and again through repeated acts, it reinforces these pathways. It creates new, healthy, life-giving habits that over time form new mindsets, new ways of thinking new ways of feeling, new ways of responding. Now, this is all to say, this is all to say that science is discovering what the Bible has been saying all along. All along. That where you continually set your mind and what you actively, daily pursue will have life-changing effects and will allow you to experience the freedom that you were intended for. 
God has given us his spirit to awaken us and to motivate us and even in this process to direct us to God so that we can pursue the one who first pursued us. Now, something I believe and a conviction that we have as a church is that pursuing spiritual health actually involves pursuing mental and emotional health. That we shouldn't separate the two. And that there's overlap in the process of sanctification as a Christian. And so at this time, what I want to do, I, I totally want to break the, the, the normal pattern, and I want to welcome uh, Ellen Hung, who's one of our uh, Reality members and a counselor who works here in Stockton and then also through telecounseling. And so if you guys would give her a warm welcome. had an opportunity to speak this week and, and, t- and talk about, you know, this topic and really like brainstorm and ways that we can make some connections for us as a church. Mental health is such a great need in our time and especially in our city. And so I've got some questions that I'm going to ask and I'm really looking forward to uh, how Ellen makes some connections for us today. The first question I want to ask is this. We, you know, we've been talking about sanctification in the book of Romans. Uh, What is the way that mental health can and is integrated into the sanctification process for the Christian? Yeah, um, I think when we're considering mental health and essentially our spiritual health, we have a tendency to think about it in like one of two ways. First, we compartmentalize. We say, here's my mental health over here and here's my spiritual health over here. And for whatever reason we give, we don't... uh, feel comfortable giving those before God. Um, And the other is we inappropriately define one by the other. So we might have uh, told ourselves or told somebody else, um, if you're struggling with your mental health, you must be uh, missing something spiritually. And that can be really dangerous and hurtful. And so I think um, uh, a more helpful approach to consider is how mental health exists under the umbrella of spiritual health. And so it's good and important to have mental health goals, but ultimately they're secondary to um, our spiritual health goals of maturing in Christ. And like Pastor Christian said, you know, we ha- we're familiar with how to do that, how to mature in Christ, right? The whole list that we just went through. Um, but God also uses people <laughs> like counselors who then can directly address our mental health needs and can be used by God to refine us spiritually. Um, And of course, the most important person he gives us is the Holy Spirit, who um, is our comforter, is our helper, God described as our healer. And I love, wonderful counselor, I just love that, and I'm still discovering what that means. Um, But uh, ultimately, I say we we do the work um, of unlearning and rewiring, We take advantage of the resources that he's given to us. Um, And this is the thing, I think, whether or not we experience relief, uh, we hold on to the promise that one day there will be no pain and suffering, um, and that includes suffering related to mental health. Man. You know, Paul earlier in Romans talks about 
not understanding his own actions. I love that Paul even confesses, like, I do the things that I don't want to do, and then the things I don't want to do I end up doing. I don't understand. The mind is a mystery. And the question is, why do you think God allows that mystery to remain and that tension to remain even though we have, like, quote, seen the light? We, we've gotten clarity on who Jesus is, but why do you think that he allows the mystery of the mind to remain? Um, that's, I think that's, our, that's the struggle. Um, uh, and I have a very simple answer for this. Um, I think he allows that mystery to remain so that we depend on him. Um, you know, every effort that we give to make sense of our brain, of ourselves, of other people, why they think the way that they do, how we relate to one another, how we make sense of the world around us is an effort to gain that control. And um, if we had that control, we wouldn't need him anymore. How, th this, this gets brought up quite a bit, and it's kind of a difficult conversation to kind of wade through, but how does, how is sin involved in mental health? What, what's sin's role in all of this? I love these questions. <laughs> um, sin's role, yeah. Um, I think we, as a church, can collectively agree that humanity's basic problem is sin. Um, I do want to say I don't believe that all of our emotional suffering is due to personal sin. Um, you know, we suffer sometimes because we're going through that sanctification process. Um, but, of course, it's hard to hear um, there's purpose in your pain. Um, I think more so than that message, you know, the message that God gives us is that we can have joy in our pain. We can have peace in our pain. And um, when it comes to sin, we're really talking about, like, replacing the true good with the distorted good. And in light of mental health, I think that looks like self-love and doing what makes you happy and you are enough you are worthy and that's not what the bible says um amen <laughs> um and so you know even in our field there are theories that um take on the approach that people are inherently good and if you give them that safe space that they'll find the answers within themselves and we know that um left to our own devices we would not choose the best way and um and so I think uh, with all that, um, we, it's not to say that those things um, cannot be helpful, but ultimately I think change out of our own strength can be long lasting, but transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit is everlasting. And I think as a Christian, we have the opportunity to experience both in this life. Finally, um, say I'm sitting in the congregation right now and statistically, this is absolutely true. So this isn't just theoretical. But I'm sitting in the congregation, and I'm really struggling with mental health right now, struggling, reconciling how this fits together with the healing of Jesus. And what can I do right now? You know, what are the steps that I can take as a member of reality or as even just a guest today uh, in light of all these things? Um, I think it's safe to say we all struggle with mental health to a degree because we're human and we're simple humans. Um, but really what we're looking for in our field and what we're assessing is um, the answer to the question, you know, how much of what you're experiencing is negatively affecting your day-to-day -day functioning. Um, and so if your answer, you know, you believe is on the higher end of that, um, 
then I would say, well, this goes to everybody, but you know, believe that God cares for your mental health. He cares for your mental health. Going to counseling, seeking help can be in line with following Jesus. And, um, and so I think, uh, you know, when people come to me, they look at me and they're like, well, what do you know about life? And, you know, how could you possibly understand what I'm going through? Um, and I have a, again, simple answer to that. I say, I don't. I say, help me understand. And that alone, it, I've seen is so powerful. You know, I, I've had um, clients who I haven't even seen face to face at that point say therapy is life changing because I take on that approach of help me understand. How much more powerful if we take that to God? You know, God, nobody understands what I'm going through, what I wrestle with in my mind. Um, but he said he doesn't say help me understand. He says I understand, and I I I just think that's so beautiful. And um, and we as a church, you know, the leadership at Reality um, want to understand and are taking steps to more tangibly meet meet the mental health needs of the church. And that's going to look like connecting members to local resources as well as you know, hopefully starting a support group within the church for members to um, really continue this conversation because these are just, the, this is just the beginning. These are just big picture conversation uh, conversations. Um, and so I'm sure there's a lot more questions, you know, a lot more stories to tell and to hear. Um, and so if that's something that's on your heart, um, I ask that you continue to pray for us. What I want to do is just very briefly uh, conclude with our final point from this passage, and it's our power. You know, some of us are feeling pretty hopeless and pretty powerless in this process. We've got certain thoughts or habits or behaviors that just seem so deeply ingrained in us that they will never change. D.A. Carson once said it takes extraordinary pain, uh, change Extraordinary power to change us. In fact, it takes nothing less than the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And what I want to remind us of, here's the hope of Christianity. This is exactly what God has provided us with. It requires nothing less than the, the, the power of the resurrection, and this is exactly what God has given us in his Holy Spirit. Look at me in 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, and that's, that's the question you need to ask today. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The promise that we have is that we are never alone in this. For the one that has trusted in Jesus, you have God's very spirit actively within you to bring resurrection life within your mind and within your heart, and even as we told here, eventually in our bodies. Today, where, where things feel, uh, you know, broken, I want to invite you to call upon the Holy Spirit for him to bring the healing of Jesus Christ. Where, where things feel dead, I want to ask you to call upon the Holy Spirit for him to bring the life of heaven. And where things feel hopeless and beyond change. We need to call upon the Holy Spirit to give us once again the hope of the gospel and remind us that the work that Jesus began in us 
he will bring to completion. And that there is a day coming where all who have believed on Christ will experience freedom, total freedom from sin, sorrow, fear, and all the things that plague our mind and body. Everything that hurts us will be done away with. Amen? What I want to do is ask Ellen to close us out in prayer.